Today we're gonna we're gonna continue and uh, continue looking at um, the life of Elijah, and um, I remember uh, I remember last week um, just kind of we got to this like monumental point in the story, right? Like we got to the the story that everybody knows, um, kind of that epic moment where it's 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 the God of Israel versus this this God they call Baal, and this this showdown. Um, between the two, and it's like, what's going to happen, right? And, 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 and Elijah's God comes through and shows up, and um, the enemy is defeated, right? And, and so we get to the next part of the story this morning where we say, so what does Elijah do next, right? What's that next moment, right? What's the next thing that happens? And so um, today we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to finish that chapter up, so we're going to be looking at uh, verses 41 through 46 today. Um, and, uh, so I would, uh, if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to get there. Um, we're going to be there, but before we get to the passage, I want to ask you guys uh, a question and I want you to take a minute and just kind of discuss it, um, amongst yourselves. Um, we're going to get, we're going to do, uh, like four questions today. So these are going to be really short questions. So find some people around you, uh, and discuss this question. If you could be known for one thing, what would it be? Right? Think about your life, think about all that you want to be known for, and what is, if you could just be known for one thing, what would that one thing be? All right, take, take a minute, discuss that um, in, your, in a couple of little groups, and then we'll come back together. All right, you guys probably just had enough time to actually start to dive into that conversation, and I'm going to pull it back um, this morning. We're going to, like I said, we're going to do several questions today, so get comfy, like, talking to people around you. Um, but that question, what would you want to be known for? That's an important question. That's an important question for us to be to think about individually. It's also an important question for us to think about as a church, right? Like fundamentally, that's an important question of like, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be known as a people that, what do we do? What are we known for? What is that? What is that when other people think about us, they think about our church, think about our community? What is it that we are known for? Um... And as, as your pastor, as your shepherd, there are a lot of things that I would hope that we would be known for, right? That we would be known as a loving community, that we would be known as uh, people who, who represent Jesus well, who, who tell our friends and our neighbors about the incredible story of the gospel, right? Um, I would hope that we would be known as people who serve our community, right? That our life, just like Jesus, is not about us, but it's about laying our lives down and serving our community around us, right? Um, but one of the things, if I had to just say... As a church community, what is the one thing that I hope that we would do, all of us, that I would ask all of us to do, that one basket I would put that in would be prayer, mm. right? Would be prayer. And here's why, and, and this is something that God has just been cultivating in my heart and, and really making me think, you know, prayer is kind of one of those, for me growing up in church, prayer is one of those things that you just kind of did, you know, like you pray before you eat, you pray at this time and that time, and and we would all say that prayer is important, right? But But I... I don't know, something in the last few weeks has just really kind of hit my heart how important, how vital prayer really is, right? And here's why. Here's the thought that's been going through my mind, right? Um, so if God has called us on this mission, right, to, to go and disciple this world, to share the good news of Jesus and to make disciples uh, of the people we come in contact with, right, the Great Commission, if that's true, how are we going to do that, right? Uh, and prayer is our, is our line to the Almighty. It's our contact. It's our connection with God, right? And so the way I look at that is like, you know, serving is good. Serving is important. I would never discourage us from serving our community, 
Um, but sometimes we can put all of our eggs and we're just going to be known for the people that serve. We're going to be known for this, right? And I think what we can do sometimes is we can get ahead of God. We can do all these things, right? But we never ask God to come in and for him to supernaturally do things. And, and that's what, exactly what we're going to see in our passage today is that when Elijah, when, when this moment is over, right, when, when the, the prophets of Baal have been defeated and Elijah has, has now ended them and, and, and that, right, what's the first thing he does? He goes and he hits his knees and he prays, right, that God would end this drought. Because I think what Elijah knows and what we see throughout Elijah's life, throughout this narrative, is that Elijah knows that ultimately he's just a vessel and the power is coming from the Almighty. It's coming from God. And, and that's really my heart this morning is that we just wrap our minds around that thought is that if I could ask us as a church to be known to do one thing and that's, and that's just to be people that pray, right? Um, as small as we are in this moment, right, in this, in this picture of where we are as a church um, and as big as the task is that God has for us, the only way we're going to accomplish that is, is through God coming and, and using us and, and getting his power. And the way we access that, the way that we connect with that, the way that we uh, utilize that is, is through prayer. Um, and I'll also say this morning, this is an area that even as a pastor, like I want to grow in. This is an area that, that I want to grow in that discipline. I want to be a better pastor. I want to be the pastor that you guys know are praying for you individually every single day by name, every single day, no matter what. I think that's the, the most important thing that I can do for you. And the same thing as the church body, I think that's the most important thing that, that we can all do is just pray that, that God would come and move among us so that his name would be known. I heard a story um, about this little church. Uh, I can't remember exactly where it was, uh, but it was this little Korean church uh, somewhere in the States. And, um, and the story was told that uh, it was really interesting that people would come from all over the country to come visit this little Korean church. Um, and, and we might think that it, maybe it was because the pastor, maybe he was just, you know, he was such a gifted communicator. Maybe he was just such a powerful speaker, right? But the story goes that, that people came to the church. It wasn't for the pastor, but there was this little Korean lady who was known for her faithfulness in prayer. And people would come and visit that church because they knew how powerful uh, this little Korean lady was in her prayer life. Um, and it was as if she had a direct line with God uh, and miraculous things were happening. And, and what I'm reminded of is that like, we all have that access to God. Because of what Jesus did for us, right? Um, we all have that access to God. We all have that place that, that we can be connected with God. And that's exactly um, what Elijah does. As you look throughout his life, right? Um, it's, it's, it's him speaking with God when the power comes. And, and that's really my encouragement for us today is that we, in the same way, would open up that line of communication, that connection with God, uh, and utilize that. And so we're going to look at, um, we're going to look at this, this passage, uh, verses 41 through 46. Um, it really focuses around the ending of this drought. Now, you guys remember, um, Elijah now has been promising that this drought, right, it's been about three and a half years at this point, um, right? He goes to King Ahab and he says, hey, because you've led God's people away from God's heart, I'm going to send this drought into the land, Right, and this and this point in the story has been about three and a half years, um, no water whatsoever. And um, and then in in verse uh, in the beginning of chapter eighteen, we talked about God comes to Elijah right after he'd been in Zarephath for a while. He says, "I want you to go get, go to Ahab and tell him that the drought is coming to an end." Right, and so and so then last week Ross did an incredible job walking us through that epic moment of of Elijah defeating uh, the prophets of Baal. 
<coughs> so coming on the end of that, um, we see, and, and I want to ask a couple questions today as we look at this passage of, of Elijah's prayer life. What did he do? How did he do it? Those kind of questions. So the first thing I want us to look at is what exactly did Elijah do, right? Uh, let's look at, at so we'll start in verse 41. Um, and read down through 42. Uh, and Elijah said to Ahab, right? This is immediately after Elijah had just slaughtered all of these prophets of Baal, right? He says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. Let's just stop there right, right there for just a second. Now, there's a little bit of debate as far as uh, when Elijah tells Ahab to go up and eat and drink. There's, there's kind of two sides of this, and it's probably not super important um, which one of those are right. Um, one side says that maybe he was telling, Elijah, or telling Ahab, hey, you know what? Enjoy what you have for right now, right? So you just go ahead and eat and drink. Be merry, right? Because the sound of rain is coming. So you enjoy your last little, little, little victory, little moment here. Um, other people think that maybe this is just Elijah showing kindness because Ahab has been defeated, um, because all of his prophets have been slaughtered, and so he's just giving him some encouraging advice. Hey, go up and eat and drink. Um, lift your head up. Um, I don't really know which one it is. It's probably not super important, but I think what is important is to realize um, this comparison between what Ahab does and what Elijah does, right? Ahab, as we've seen kind of throughout the story, has been this, uh, this person who has been the antagonizer to Elijah. He's been the one that has, has said things like, oh, Elijah, you troubler of Israel, and, and threatened to kill Elijah. Um, he has been this one that um, has constantly been the adversary. Um, and he's also the one that a few chapters earlier, uh, or the chapter earlier, we were reading about how he was more concerned about the animals, right? He was more concerned about his mules and his horses than he was even about the people, right? He was such a hardness in his heart. And yet, at the same time, um, I think we even see in this picture, maybe he's more concerned about going up and eating even than what God has called him to do. But then we look at Elijah, and what does he do, right? He goes up on a mountain, and he gets alone with God. Right after this epic moment, I think about that in my life. Right, and, and when when epic things happen, like when I see God move in powerful ways, right, in my life, things that I just can't explain, and I've seen that happen a few times in my life. My natural tendency is to want to take and just go talk to people about it to celebrate that, which I don't think is bad, right? But I really love Elijah's posture here, is because instead of going and talking to people about it, he just goes and talks to God. Even after this epic moment, right, even when he, he is, is ready for this, for this drought to be ended, right, he goes and he gets alone with God. <coughs> it reminds me of that moment, if you guys ever uh, watched the Super Bowl, right? After the Super Bowl, um, usually some sort of interviewer will come up to the quarterback or the MVP of the Super Bowl, right, and what question do they ask? Where are you going to go, right? Everybody, that's the question, right? You just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? And what do they say? Disney World, Disney World right? That's like the, the answer, right? Um, and I think that's kind of our natural human tendency is that when, when we experience something exciting or, 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 you know, monumental in our life, like, like we just want to go and we want to kind of consume that for ourselves. But that's not what we see here with Elijah. Elijah goes after this moment. And he goes up and he goes to pray, right? He gets alone. He goes to the top of Mount Carmel. Now, who does that remind us of 
in, in the Gospels that gets alone throughout. Yeah, Jesus, right? Even God's own son, right? Before these monumental moments in his ministry, before he goes to the cross to, to do battle with sin itself, right? What does he do? He goes and he gets alone, right? A couple times he actually goes up and prays and comes back down and goes up and prays and, and comes back down. And, and it's just these, it's this picture, right, of, of when, when things happen in our life, what do we do? Where do we go? Where do we run to? And I love that example we have over Elijah is that he goes and he gets alone with God, right? Um, we talked about James chapter 5 um, previously, um, how James talks about Elijah. James was talking about the idea of, of faith and faithfulness and, and what does prayer and faithfulness look like, right? And he uses Elijah as an example. Um, and this is James chapter 5, 16 and 18. James says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Right? We're going to see that here in just a minute with Elijah, that, that there's going to be great power because of Elijah's faithfulness and, and his righteousness to praying. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Right? We talked about that. That's, that's one of the things that's so encouraging about Elijah's life is that there was nothing extraordinary about Elijah other than the God that he served. And yet he prayed fervently that it might not rain. For three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Right? Elijah prayed, prayed faithfully, um, and God, God comes through. That's what we're going to see in our story today. So what, what exactly was it that Elijah prayed? Um, right? What, what exactly did he pray? And, and I think what we can take from the earlier passages that he just prayed the promise that God had already given him. Right? If we jump back to uh, chapter 1 and verse 18, right? What did God tell him to do? He said, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah. He said, In the third year, saying to him, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Right? God promised, If you go and do this, you go and show yourself to Ahab, I'm going to end this drought. Right? And so, no doubt, that's what Elijah in this moment is praying. He's just praying back what God had already said he was going to do. I think a lot of times um, we would do well to, to follow Elijah's example, right? Um, how, often, how often in our lives do we pray back the things that God has already told us to pray for, the things that God's already told us that he wants to do and is going to do in our lives? Or yet, how often do we just kind of turn it, we've talked about this before, how often do we just turn it into like this magic genie in a bottle, right? God, man, I, just, I need you to give me this and this and this and this. And, and not that there's not a place in our life um, that we can go to God and we can ask for those things. But I think we miss out sometimes so much because we don't pray back those promises that God has already told us that he wants to give us, that he's already told us that are ours. See, Elijah realized that the promises of God that he had made earlier was just an invitation to prayer. Right? It was just an invitation for Elijah to come and to speak what God had already told him he was going to do. Right? And it's important that we understand that. It's important that we understand what those promises are so that in our own prayer lives, Right? When we get alone with God, when we get away from everything, right? and I think that's an important practice sometimes. It's, it's good to pray in, in, in community settings like that because there's certainly power in that. But I think there's also seasons that when, when we struggle and, and things are going on that we also need to get alone with God. And we need to just get um, away from, from everybody else and just focus on our relationship, focus on our communication with God. right? And in that moment, right, in those moments, 
Do we know what God has promised to us? Do we know his word well enough to know those promises? So here's what I want us to do. I want us to take about two minutes, and in our groups, I want us just to discuss, um, name as many promises of God as you can in two minutes. So this is a little Bible drill challenge. Um, you don't have to, like, cite, quote, everything, right? But what are some of those promises that we find in God's word? What are some of those promises that you remember as you've read through God's word um, that are important for us to realize when we're praying to God. Okay, so let's take a couple minutes, see how many of those that you can name in your group, and then we'll come back together and continue looking at the story. Okay? All right. So you guys think you hit them all? Emily said there's like 7,000 plus, so do you guys think you got them all? I thought after after she told me that, I was like, I should have given you guys a little bit more than two minutes to together, do that. I say we hit like a good 30. A good 30, yeah. <laughs> Collectively, right? Um, yeah, it was... That was really refreshing just to, to talk about those things and to hear those promises. And it's just that, that reminder that as we're reading through God's Word to, to, to dive into those things, right? And, and then the, just this practice then of, of just repeating God's Word back to Him, right? That's, that's probably one of the most helpful ways that we can pray is just praying back what He's already said to us, right? We can have confidence in those things. Um, one of the things we talked about in our group is, is sometimes I think um, in, in our prayer lives, it's so easy to, to our perspective just to be so small, right? And so we think about those promises that individually kind of deal with us, but also to realize that God also has made promises on a cosmic scale, right? He's promised restoration for this world. He's promised that he's going to end evil and all of these things, right? And so as we pray, man, God's promises are, are incredible. Um, and so I want us to, to, to continue on in this passage, right, in this short little passage. Um, and I want us to look at how did, how did Elijah pray? Like, what were some of the characteristics of Elijah's prayer? And, and I'm just going to kind of spitball some of these pretty quickly. Um, but I think they're, they're certainly um, important for us as we think about praying and the way that we pray. Um, we're going to really be looking at, at verse 42 a lot. Of, so he goes up to the mountain, right? And when he gets there, what does he do? It says, and he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face um, between his knees, right? Um, and so what commentators say is that this moment, right, this was just this, this picture of just this, um, just this absolute on his face before God, um, just laying in this position that, that he's giving it all over, over to God. Um, and so how, do, how does he pray, right? How should we pray even? Um, one of those ways is we need to be, there needs to be some definiteness, definiteness when we pray, right? Like we need to have some know what we pray, what we're praying for. I think, I think in my personal life, like that's one of the the, the areas that I slip up a lot of times is I'll start praying. I don't really have any clear direction in my mind what I'm praying for, and then my mind just kind of wanders on to things that are less important. And that's what I love about praying the promises of God is that it gives us something concrete and confident to put our prayers in. Right? We can we can be specific. And we can be confident when we pray over the promises of God, these things that God has promised to us. Um, I love what, what one commentator said. He said, there is so, uh, this is why so many prayers fail. He said, they are like arrows shot into the air, right? And I think sometimes we just kind of randomly, like, we'll just throw up our prayer. We don't really know what we're asking God. We're not intentional with what we're seeking God out. We're not specific in what we're asking God for. And it's kind of like, God, be with the world and things that I need to pray about, right? But think about how much more powerful it would be if, if God has laid those things and we were just intentional and specific, right? Elijah here, he went up to the mountain for one reason, right? What was his one reason? What was he asking God to do? To bring rain, to bring rain right? To end the drought and to bring rain, 
right? We get that from the context of the scripture. We get that from, from that passage in James that said he prayed and God sent the rain, right? He was very specific. He knew what he was asking for. And I think that's important. I think just practically in our lives that we ask God that, right? And so we're intentional, we're specific, we're definite in our prayers. Also, we see that there's this sense of earnesty, right? This earnest sense that he prayed, right? I don't get the, the sense from the posture that he has right here that it was just this casual, like, Lord, thank you for this food, thank you for this meal, amen, right? I think that he was on his face diligently praying before the Lord. I think that's what it says, right? That, that, that he prayed fervently that it may not rain, right? We saw that when, when he was asking that God send the drought to show Ahab. He prayed fervently that it wouldn't rain on the earth. And then in the next verse it says that he prayed and God sent rain. There's a ferventness to it, right? He prayed hard after the promises of God. I think there's a, there's a point in, in all of our lives, right, when we pray that, that we need to be intentional, right? And we're not praying for our own glory, right? But we're praying that God would be glorified through this, right? We're not praying, we're not seeking that God will, will get the glory. We're not seeking that we'll get the glory, we're seeking that God will get the glory. And so we pray fervently, right? Pray fervently. We trust that, that God will do it. Right? And as we look throughout scriptures, like we look at some of the things that people prayed for and, and God, some of the things that God did, right? And God does some pretty incredible things, right? With some pretty unlikely people, right? I mean, think about a couple of stories, especially in the Old Testament, right? Like there's that moment where Joshua's leading the Israelites, right? And they get to Jericho, right? And, and what do they do, right? They don't attack the city, they don't like lay siege to it and hold out. What do they do? march around this like how crazy is that right but yet there was this confidence this earnest understanding that that god had called them to do it and that god would would come through for them there's that moment a little bit later in the story where jonathan goes with his armor bearer right against the whole army he's kind of like you know what if god is with us we can do this right um there's a picture of moses right as he leads the israelites out of Egypt, right? And he faces Pharaoh. Like, how crazy is some of these things, right? But I think that the fact was that they knew and they had a trust in God and they fervently were seeking after him. I think another thing we see here with Elijah is that he prayed expectantly, expectantly. He was expecting God to show up. Elijah prayed that God would, would show up, right? He had confidence that God would do what he said that he was going to do right it reminds me of this of this passage that that uh, in the gospel of mark chapter 11 verse 20 and this is kind of getting toward the the end of the story uh, in the gospel and jesus is going with his disciples right and verse 20 says as they passed by in the morning they saw a fig tree withered away to its roots and peter remembered and said to him rabbi look the fig tree that you cursed has withered and jesus answered him have faith in god Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in what? In prayer, right? Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. He goes on to ask about forgiveness, right? But there's this concept that Jesus says throughout 
throughout is that if we just have faith and we trust and we believe and we, we trust him, right, and we expect God to show up, that he will. And, and I wonder, like, how many times in our life, like, maybe that's one of the issues why, why prayer doesn't, isn't as effective as we hoped it would be, right? I mean, if, if I'm, like, really honest in this moment, right, I know that there's times that I've prayed for things, but have I really been expecting God to show up? You know, have I really been expecting and, 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 you know, yes, yes, I, I'm kind of pray and say, yes, God, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. But do I really pray in such a way that I'm like, man, God's going to do it. You know what I mean? God's going to show up. God's going to do these incredible, incredible things. So there's, there's encouragement, right? There's encouragement when we pray. We need to, to pray with expectancy. We need to pray that God is, God is going to, going to show up and do what he says that he's going to do as we, as we pray these promises of God. Also, we see that, that Elijah was, was humble in his prayer, right? Just notice his posture, um, what we get from this passage, right? He postured himself low before the maker of heaven and earth, right, as he prays, right? One commentator said it this way. He said, this was an unusual posture of prayer for Elijah. He wasn't kneeling. He wasn't sitting. He wasn't standing. He was laying prostrate before the Lord. This shows that uh, there's power. The power resides in prayer and faith and hope in the living God. And just think about that, right? I think about our posture. I think about this is one of the things that uh, I'm trying to, to learn myself is just that there's so much that we communicate with our posture, right? Um, I know we've probably all been in that moment, right, where we kind of lay in bed and right before we go to bed, we're like, oh, I needed to pray. And so we're like, all right, God, let me, let me hit my top ten real quick before I go to bed, right? God, be with this, be with my family, be with my... And by the time we get to about number three, what happens? We're out, right? <laughs> I mean, is that a posture of serious prayer? Like, like if we are, are praying and we want God to show up and we're expecting God to move and do something miraculous, don't you think a posture of that, right? There's just something about the way that we posture our, our bodies sometimes even that um, has an impact on the way we pray, right? I know there's moments in my life where I just, I needed God to show up, right? And like those moments where it's just like I hit my face, right? Not even so much because I was trying to, to do anything, but just kind of like that was just the, the weight of the moment, right? Some of those have been some of the most powerful moments of prayer in my life. Um, and so I think it also represents our, our, us being humble, right, before God. I think that's the other aspect of that we realize is that we're praying. Yes, we're praying to God and he hears our prayers, but we're still praying to the God of the universe, right? And so as we enter into that, right, just this, this humble posture, this humbleness, right? We're asking God. We're not necessarily telling God, um, but we're speaking to him. We're asking God for things. We're being humbled, right? I, I think about that picture of, of Isaiah chapter 6, right, where, where they're in the throne room of God. And, and, and these, these angelic-like beings are, are, are going around, and what are they saying, right? They're covering their face, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, right? And just think about that, and I think, man, that's a picture of what our posture before God should be like, right? Like that we just humble ourselves before God. We go and we just earnestly talk to Him, right? Under, understanding and recognizing who He is and, and returning all the glory to Him in that moment. And I think that's exactly what we see here with, with Elijah. He goes up to this mountain, right? He doesn't just sit on the mountain and, and like, if that was me, and I know probably Sam and Chris, like, they're big mountain people. Um, mountain people. That's, that's, a, that's a good thing to say, right? It's not, you're, you're an offense. I didn't say, like, a mountain goat. I said, like, mountain people, right? That's, that's good. I guess that could be taken the wrong way, right? Mountain people, like, not those mountain people. 
I'm going to stop talking about mountain people right now, and we're going to move back to the, to the picture, right? But like I know for myself, if I climb up on a mountain and I'm, I'm praying, right, what, what am I doing? What do I normally do? I'm just sitting there and I'm just looking around, right? And I'm just kind of taking it all in. And then I'll be like, sometimes I'll thank God for that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But in this moment, it was so serious. What does Elijah do? He doesn't care about what's around, right? He's at the peak of this, this mountain. He can see all around. Man, he's just face down before the Lord. He's just humble and just asking God, God, show up, right? Not for my glory, but that, that the nation, right? That, that your people would see your hand and your power move once again, right? That your people would be drawn back to your heart once again. And I think that is the posture our heart should take as we ask God for things, right? As we ask God to, to make a move and to do things in our community and that, that our nation and our community around us would return back to God. I think it's a, it's a, it's a position of, of, of humility, but finally, and, 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 and we see this kind of in verses 43 and 44, there's this idea of faithfulness too, right? Elijah didn't stop praying. He continued to pray the promises of God, right? Um, he continued to pray and to ask God to do that. Look at verse 43, what he does to, to his poor servant here. Verse 43, uh, and he said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go up again. Seven times. Right? This poor dude. Right? This poor dude. is making that track up the mountain seven times. Right? I probably shouldn't share the story, but there was a, there was a moment uh, a couple weeks ago that some people in our church, and I won't mention any names, they went on a hike. Um, <laughs> and I thought that that was this moment. Like, they, they went up and hiked up to this mountain, and I thought we were never going to see them again. Um, because, like, it was just very untypical for them not to to hear from them at a certain day and we didn't hear and I started getting worried and um, they're like no we just went up to the top of this mountain right and and this was like the peaks of otter it wasn't like but right imagine this poor servant seven times going all the way up to the top and looking and coming back down to me and like oh, all right Elijah there's nothing there and Elijah's like go again that dude's trucking it up there again you know seven times right and I don't get the picture in this moment that while he's up there Elijah's just like watch this this is gonna be funny right Elijah's just face down, prostrate before the Lord. God, send rain, send rain, send rain. Only like you can do it, God. Only like you can do it. And his face is on the ground, right? You see, it's very different from the moment we saw a few minutes ago, or, or a, a passage ago, right, where, where God sends fire immediately, right? Elijah prays for fire and instantly, right? God just sends the fire and consumes the, you know, the sacrifice in this moment. But the prayer for rain took a while. And I'll just be honest, like, like in my life, and, and I'm pretty sure it's probably true for all of us, those are the ones that I have the hardest time with, right? When we pray for something and we don't see God respond immediately to it. And I, have a, I have a tendency sometimes, if, if God doesn't respond immediately to something, that I kind of lose, I don't lose hope in God. I think I just tend to put more confidence in myself. And I'm like, all right, well, if he's not going to answer it, I guess I'll just take care of it, right? Instead of just being faithful and continuing to bring that to God, Right? And I think that's what we see in Elijah is there's just this faithfulness to God. That we don't lose that faithfulness to God. Right? We don't lose that thing that was so important. Right? We don't, we don't just give up. Right? But we continue to be faithful in what God is calling us to do. And, and in prayer especially that we just continue to lay it before God and we just wait and trust in Him. And so that's what Elijah does. And then we get verse 44, right? What is, how does God respond 
to this prayer, to this faithfulness. So you have this poor servant, right, who's, who's been up there seven times, right? And, and at the seventh time, he said, Behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea, right? This poor guy's probably like, Thank you, Lord. Like, this guy was probably more excited than Elijah was, right? Because he's like, man, if there's nothing up here, like, I'm going to have to go up this mountain again, right? And so he says, look, I see a little, a little cloud, like a man's hand, that's starting to rise. And Elijah says, go up, he says to Ahab, prepare your chariot. Say to Ahab, prepare your chariot to go down, lest the rain stop you, right? And in verse 45, in a little while, the heavens grew black, with a cloud and the wind, and there was a great rain, right? God sends rain. God sends the rain down, right? And, 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 and from Elijah's faithfulness, from his humility, from him just praying over God's promises, God responds. God responds. And, um, and so then, and then after that, right, we get this last little bit of the story that's, I think is really interesting, right? Verse 46 um, and a lot of people know this part of the story because it's, it's just, it's kind of funny. It's one of those like quirky little moments in the story. Um, verse 46, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he gathered up his garments, right? And he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel, right? We get this picture that he outruns a chariot in this moment, right? It's kind of this quirky little story. Um, and a lot of commentators had commentated on why that was important, why Elijah decides to run there instead of just, you know, taking his time or maybe even trying to catch a ride on the, on the chariot. Um, there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, as a prophet of God, he's still um, serving the king, even though this king wasn't following God. He was still humbling himself and, and following the king. Um, but he continues to, to go and to do this. And this wasn't a short journey. It's like 14-mile hike, right, between where he's at there at Carmel to, to Jezreel. Um, so we're talking like half marathon distance, right? Um, I kind of picture in my mind, I don't, I don't know if this is exactly what happens, I kind of picture him being like that. Uh, have you guys ever watched um, uh, someone who's, who's competing for a marathon? They have pacers, right? And what is the pacer's job? It's not about them getting the time right, but it's to serve the person that's running as a servant, right? And so they run before them. Um, we recently had a guy, I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, there's a guy who just broke the record, uh, did a sub two, two hour, uh, marathon, right? Um, and one of the reasons the guy was able to do that is he had pacers. He had these guys that would, would run and keep him on pace. Um, and so they would, they would change out, but, but you don't see their names. It was all about this guy. And so maybe that's, you know, maybe there was this picture of, of as, as the servant to the king, right? He was humbling himself to serve the king. Uh, maybe it was a picture that he was trying to reach out to Ahab. He doesn't want to be an adversary. I don't know. Um, but it's an interesting detail here in the story. Um, but as we think about our lives, right, we think about um, our prayer lives exactly, uh, specifically today, right? Um, I just want to ask the question, like, does your life resemble, does your prayer life resemble that of Elijah's? If not, right, if not, what... What is one aspect that you want to work on this week in your own prayer life? All right, so let me just, I, was, I meant to put them up there again, and I didn't. So let me just kind of go over what we talked about. Um, with Elijah, we said that there was this idea of, of him being specific in his prayer. There's, he was earnest in his prayer. He was expectant, he was humble, and he was faithful in his prayer. And so if, if, if your life doesn't, if your prayer life doesn't line up with that of Elijah's, what is the one specific 
area, right, of your prayer life that you want to work on this week? I think we probably all say that there's probably multiple parts of our prayer life we want to work on. But I know sometimes when we, we can get very overwhelmed sometimes when we try to do it all. And so what is one specific area that you say, you know what, this week I want to be more whatever. I want to be more expectant when I pray that I'm going to pray that God's going to show up. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to expect him to show up. When I say things to him, I'm going to expect him to show up. I'm going to be more faithful. When God doesn't answer, I'm going to just continue to ask and continue to trust in him. Right? Which one of those aspects do you want to work on in your life? So let's take a couple minutes and just talk about that together. Um, what I like about it when we discuss too is it also kind of helps us be accountable so that next week when we come back together, right, hopefully people in your group can, can encourage you and say, hey, man, how, how was your prayer life this week? Right? How did you do with being more faithful when God didn't answer the first time? Right? So let's take a couple minutes, discuss that, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up with one last thought from the story. All right, guys, we're going we're gonna to join back together. Um, I've got one little last part of this passage I want us to, to talk about. Um, and I really wanted, the, uh, I really wanted to save the, the question of why to the end, because I, I, I want us to walk out not just, not just knowing, but I, I really want us to understand, like, um, a little bit of what we talked about in the beginning of like, I really think this is the, the basket that we have to put our eggs in as, as followers of Jesus, as, as those that uh, have been given this mission to follow him, right? Um, prayer is just so, so vital um, to us being able to accomplish that mission and doing what he's called us to do. Um, and there's a, there's a little part in verse 46 um, where it says this, um, before, before he runs... And, and chases down the chariot and, and gets to Jezreel. Uh, verse 46 says, And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Right? I just was thinking about that this week. And I was thinking about what it looked like to have the hand of God on you, right? Um, and I, I, don't, I don't think that the hand of God comes on people who aren't connected with God. Um, I think because of Elijah's faithfulness, because of his, his con- deep connection and prayer with God, that God does these miraculous things, right? I was reminded that, um, like we talked about in the very beginning, we first started talking about Elijah, right? This guy was a nobody from nowhere, right? Before before God used him in this way, like nobody knew who Elijah was, right? It wasn't like he was he was a famous like circuit prophet, you know, that everybody in the nation knew. It wasn't like he had popularity or anything. Like he was just some guy that was living out in the mountains somewhere, and, and God spoke to him. And it wasn't anything about Elijah, but it was about the power of God, right, and how God used him, and he continued to ask Elijah to pray. And and what so, but then I think about what what Elijah did with that, right? When when God used him, right? How did how did Elijah, what did Elijah do, right? And he contended for his generation, right? He contended for the hearts of the people of Israel. We see that throughout, right? We saw that last week. Um, as as he had the showdown with the prophets, right? It wasn't just for Elijah to get up there and say, hey, look at me, I'm so cool, I can call fire down from heaven, right? What was the whole point of that? To sh- yeah, to, show, to glorify God, right? To show Israel that there was a God who loves them, right? And that they needed to be drawn back to his heart. And Elijah contended. And this week we see him contending in a different way, Right? He's contending by praying, right? He's going and he's seeking God on his face. And I just feel like for us, like in the generation that we live in, like if we want to see a move of God in our generation, I think we have to contend for our generation. I think we have to contend for those that are far from God, right? Um, I don't know how aware 
you are of this, but our culture is just further and further and further away from God, right? Actually, I'm pretty sure you're aware of that. Um, I think what we can do sometimes is we can kind of cloak it, right? Because where we live in our part of, of the community, uh, Franklin County in a small town, right? We may not see the secularization of our world as present as maybe if we live somewhere like New York or L.A. or somewhere like that, right? But it's part of our culture. Our culture has bought into it hook, line, and sinker, right? Um, we talked about, we talked about uh, the guys that got together at the men's conference last week. One of the things we talked about was how, man, our generation, just from technology and, and the access and the spread of information, the way that it has, like, it has just hooked our culture, right? And, and I, I don't think apart from, from the move, the hand of God moving, um, I don't think that, I mean, that's the hope of our generation, right? If we want to see our culture and our community uh, changed and, and, and come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? It's going to take us contending for them. And, and I think, yes, we go out and we share and we, and, you know, when we have those opportunities, we share the gospel, we share the good news with people. But I just really want to challenge us this morning that we contend with them on our knees, right? That we hit our knees for our, for our culture and for our generation, that they would know that there's a God and there's a God that loves them. Because I really believe that is, our, that, is, that is the way we're going to be able to reach our culture. That's the way we're going to be able to reach those around us. I think about, um, there's, a, there's a verse in Jude chapter, well, chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude, but Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Um, little Bible trivia thing there, right? But it says, uh, it says this, I have found it necessary to write uh, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And just think about that, that word contend, right? It's not a word that we use a whole lot. It's kind of that picture of a, of a boxer in a boxing ring, right? It's contending for something. It's fighting for something. And I think just as, as followers of Jesus, like the way we contend is, is, is through our connection with God. And we let God do the fighting. We let God do the changing, right? We realize that there's nothing that we can say in and of ourselves that's going to change somebody's hearts, Right? Um, I know we've probably all been to that point where we've talked to somebody about our faith, right? And we've tried to convince them. How does that usually go out? Go, go. Not really well, right? Um, now, that doesn't mean that we, we aren't faithful in that. But we realize that there's not words that we can say, right? I mean, I, I've, I've talked with people. I've had conversations with people where they've asked me all these questions, right? They, you know, questions about science and evolution and all this stuff. And they're like, if you could just answer all my questions... I would believe in God, right? And so what do you do? You walk through all the answers with them, right? And you go and give them logical answers for every question. But at the end of the day, is their hearts changed? Do they, do they truly, is that truly what they're looking for, right? It's God. It's the power of God to change their hearts. Like that's, that's what we're going after. That's ultimately what we're going to see rescue and restoration brought to our community by is, is by being able to, to see God move in their lives. And so I just want to challenge us, like, if we do nothing else as a church, right, and, and we won't, right, like, we'll certainly do other things, but if we did nothing else, right, let us be a church, let us be a people that's known for praying and seeking God. I would much rather, right, I would much rather have God with us in, in what he's called us to do than to try to do it on our own, come up with a, a clever scheme or a clever plan to, to draw people in or be attractional or whatever else, right? I would much rather us just hit our faces and hit our knees before God. Um, so here's what I want us to do um, as we kind of wrap up today. Um, that last question that I had up there, Chad's going to put back on the screen. Um, in what way will you contend for this generation? Right? And I just want to give us a couple of minutes, right? Not, not to get in groups, not to, to discuss this. Maybe you can do that at some other point. But I want us to just take 
probably in the next two or three minutes. And for us to just think about that question, resolve in our hearts, like which way, how can I, who, maybe who can I even be praying for? Who is it that we know in our life that we need to be contending for? Who is it that we need, know needs to see the act of God personally in their life, moving in their life? Um, and so I want to just give us some time to do that this morning. Um, and after we've done that for a few minutes, Tom's going to come back up and he's going to lead us um, in, in one last song. I love the, the words of the song. Um, it's, it's really just a cry of that, God, I need you. Every hour I need you, right? And so we're going we're gonna to sing that as we kind of wrap up today. Um, but let's take a few minutes um, and just kind of think through that and, and pray through that this morning. The church, it was so good to have um, us together today. I really hope as we, as we leave today, we go out um, with the mindset of contending for our generation. We go out with the mindset of how do, we, how do we reach our culture, our world around us with the love and hope of Jesus Christ. And that's by hitting our knees. Uh, not by doing, not by, by saying always, but just by trusting in the power of God to do that. So as we leave, I'd love to just close this in prayer, um, and, and we're going to walk out of here, um, and, and we get the opportunity to go and do that. So God, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity to be together as, as your people, God, that are called under your name. Uh, Father, in, in the same way as, as Elijah bowed his heart and his knees before you, God, I pray that that would be the posture of our lives. God, that we would be faithful. In, in seeking you, Lord, I pray that we would be um, eager and fervent, God, as we, as we contend for our generation. Father, may you be glorified through our lives, the things that we do. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.